Hello and welcome to I Was Just Wondering with me, Tom Salmon, the show that dives into music, film and games and everything else in between. My guest on this week's show is the award-winning director and filmmaker, Ali Kerr. Hello, Ali, and welcome to the show. So for people who aren't familiar with you and your work as a director and filmmaker, who are you and what do you do? My name is Ali and I'm a filmmaker based in London um, and I make everything from music videos to shorts to ads uh, and I've delved into a little bit of pornography. Okay. Um, so as always, I've uh, come up with four topics. So topic one is getting started in the film industry. So I want to start with a real day zero question. What was the first film that really spoke to you as a teenager? Oh, the first film. Um, I think I was actually, I was actually brought up without um, access to a lot of television. My mum was quite keen on any form of play, right. <laughs> um, predominantly lots of dressing up. Mm-hmm. And um, I would often enact Star Wars sequences with my neighbour. So I, it's it's funny, even now when I talk to people and they kind of say, oh, what's your favourite film? I'm, yeah. I often don't have um, the best of answers because I'm, I'm, I'm kind of always doing something else other than watching... TV or films, I don't watch as much. I've got quite a good catalogue, but um, I mean, I think one of the earlier things that stuck with me, I think it sticks with everyone, is Fantasia, because I remember the first time I saw that, I was like, God, this is, I mean, that's pre-teens. And then I think uh, there was a, I've forgotten what it was called. There was a BBC series that was a lesbian drama set in Scotland. And I remember that was like, that was like a kind of sexual awakening when I was right. like, oh, this is, whoa. Um, that's, that's, I can't remember what it's called. I remember that. Um, and uh, yeah. And then film beyond that. I, can't, I don't know. You know, I can't remember ever going to the cinema as a teenager. Isn't that bad? But So in terms of your background, do you come from a creative family and did they support your creative journey from the beginning? I, I'm believing you did because I remember reading an interview with a story where you were really young. I think it was like a nursery school and you were performing oh, yeah. an experimental uh, yeah. play. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, yeah, I was at primary school and um, I think it was pre-primary school and I managed to convince everyone to take their clothes off during the lunch break and the teachers were having biscuits and just basically hadn't really paid attention and they turned out with all these children that were refusing to put their clothes on. And I think my mum was called to take mm. me home, but my mum didn't um, scold me. She thought it showed good leadership. Yeah. <laughs> um, so my both my parents aren't, I wouldn't necessarily say in creative arts. Um, my mum had worked as a fashion buyer and then worked in kind of um, human rights for a long time. Um, and... It was really encouraged. My mum really kind of encouraged me. I was always theatrical. Uh, I was in it. lots of kind of like extra. I I played the harp. Um, I still do, and uh, did lots of kind of acting and really enjoyed doing that. And where do you think that confidence comes from to be a performer, to be an artist? Because that's not an easy road to walk. Um, I think it's it's actually just the ability of keeping going. So it's about being able to put it behind you. I think if you get too stuck up on the stuff that you don't get, then you can't really move forward. And that takes forever to to learn. But that I think that's it. It's the confidence of being able to let go of all the setbacks. What's your relationship like with music and especially physically learning actually to play an instrument? Because that's quite a unique thing, especially the harp as well. I mean, I got out of playing an instrument a sense of peace and calm and I think when you're having to move your feet pluck things strings with your hands and read music there's no space for your brain to take you somewhere else and I started probably when I was maybe seven or eight eight or something Um, my mum had encouraged me to try everything I tried you know everything from the flute to the violin to the guitar to the piano and then one day saw a concert and there was a harpist and I pointed it and I was like, I want to play that. She was like, absolutely not. <laughs> like she's a cheaper instrument. Um, and she eventually, I don't I have to, rem- I must've had a lesson or something. And then I was like, I'm going to do this. And I, I was always quite kind of, she likes to tell these stories of when I choose to do something, I do it. And 
I was like, no, no, I'm going to do this. So she rented me a harp. I think we rent, because they're so expensive. I mean, we rented one for maybe, she's going to correct me, I don't know. Could have been four years, it could have been something. But it was, she. it could have been a year, but enough time that she was like, you're going to prove to me that you need this. And then I had, then they got me a small size harp. And then eventually, once I'd done it for, I don't know how many years, whatever, five or probably older I think I was maybe 15 or something then they got me a full concert size harp that I still have um and haven't played much but I guess it takes yeah I guess I kind of have an appreciation for it playing an instrument and learning a piece of music and then putting yourself into it you just you kind of I've just always would lose myself and I think that's probably the thing with music for me now I can really easily lose myself in the tracks mm-hmm. and I think that's probably what I've taken from doing it a little bit and then and now doing music videos for someone else's music. Um, and I just want to touch on your time studying art history at the Courthold Institute um, and the uh, short films you're making alongside your art history essays. So what was that like and what kind of things were you kind of making at that time? Yeah, I was writing a lot and to supplement the writing I ended up making films uh, that would show the artwork and those were large scale works predominantly sculptures that were on the Thames and that coincided with meeting Rena at a photo shoot and yeah deciding that I was going to be a give it a go as sort of directing and I knew someone very well who was a cinematographer and a Mm. producer who were very close friends and so I'd kind of already got a little bit of a helping setup and just really yeah really enjoyed it and then just kind of kept going. I just wonder in terms of the practical implications of like when you're actually editing these little videos together were you doing it yourself on like uh like Adobe Premiere or like Final Cut like how did you navigate that? Yeah I was doing it on Adobe um which has been great because I know how to you know roughly edit something together now yeah yeah so I think it's really handy anyway because it's good at teaching you what you wish you should have shot and while I was even when I started working with an editor the first couple of films I made, maybe the first five, I think I still edited a version myself, which also would wind an editor up. Mm. And it was mainly because I wanted to see all the footage, what I wish I should have got, what shots, you know, because there's always things that you're like, fuck, I should have shot that. And it it doesn't make sense. I found that (laughs) it didn't make sense a lot of the time. Um, And so uh, that was it. But then you realise you have to let go and you have to trust the people you work with. You can't just keep editing everything, even if it's a learning process. But that was some advice that was given to me by a much more experienced director. Um, and also, can we just jump a little bit into the steel egg story you told me um, before? Mm. Because I think that's really fascinating. And I also think it's a good parallel with like music videos, because mm. essentially they're very of the moment and you do get these like paradigm or cultural shifts. Um, so yeah, could you just explain a little bit like that to the audience to give them a way into sort of art history and what that's kind of about? Art history is essentially using objects for you to investigate a period in time and history. And one of the artefacts that I found fascinating, I've always loved Russian history. Um, I convinced my professors uh, at the end of sixth form to study it teach it to us because I was so keen and was really considering just studying pure history um anyway they czars for Christmas would always have Fabergé make them a beautiful enamel egg and during the break of the first world war instead of making them out of ornate jewels they made it out of steel um and it's definitely worth google and I think it's it's a kind of a I guess a gesture of how hard it was um but it also signals the end of the czars before they get toppled and the revolution happens. And, you know, I think looking at objects in that way and then using them to unpack what's going on and applying people, some people say applying meaning, some people say extracting meaning. Mm. I guess it's a combination of that. And I think that's sort of, it's interesting now seeing it with music videos, you can't quite believe it. And the modern art historians in the comments of saying, oh, you know, particularly with reading videos, oh, you know, no, that means this, or this means that. 
and you know people fighting over what the meaning is and what you're trying to say i think on the whole what's really great is people are kind of saying the same thing um just sort of following on from that um you did briefly talk uh working with uh, rena um so I believe that was the first music video you directed, which was released, because I understand there was a few um, before that that didn't. And you did speak about lot linking up at that photo shoot and then starting to work together. Other than going along the lines of like sort of previous interviews and just going through each individual sort of music video, what is it about your particular collaboration? Say like the first time you met her and started speaking with her, what were the sort of, I guess, like cultural like touch points you knew, actually, oh, I can work with this sort of person. We're kind of on the same um, creative uh, like level or like same page or however you want to sort of phrase that. I think we'd both come straight out of quite academic universities and were two people that had an unapologetic love for pop culture, mm. which everyone does. But when you're sort of at these places that it's all about Renoir or Rothko or in her case, Cambridge, you're surrounded by a group of people who think that Britney's maybe not cool. Yeah. And I think it was that blend of, of loving kind of, odd esoteric books and nerding out over stuff and then also loving um mariah carey and how do you how do you like i think both of us would you know writing writing a kind of dissertation about pop culture i think is where we were kind of at and that was sort of our ideas and i guess that the first video where you are you know i, I don't think we were thinking about it necessarily too much i mean i know rena was very influenced at the time by arvida bystrom internet art kind of people who were very into this and petra collins that kind of quite bubblegum uh almost sort of childlike approach that these artists were having and making and posting on instagram um that was very kind of young and and how you'd and kind of sort of unsettling, but yet sort of so sort of soft and not threatening. And I, she was kind of, and that was sort of why she wanted that aesthetic. So there is, there's always a bit, there's more to it than it just being, mm. oh, this is just a fun video. Yeah. And why that hap had to happen then, as opposed to like why we did what we did. And it's a very different look for Hold the Girl. Yeah, yeah. You know, to why we did what we did excess to the fact that bad friend was in the same album you know all that it's 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 always looking at the wider context even if um that doesn't necessarily seem apparent yeah okay so i just want to move on to um topic two that's making music video um, i want to take a blank state um blank slate uh, approach here and start with you're at home you get an email from your agent saying x artist or band wants a music video how do you start that creative process i had first listened to the track yeah if I like the track, then I'll make, and then I'll look at their body of work. Mm. Then if I like what they're making, then I'll think about pitching. Mm. Um, and then if I am thinking about pitching, I, and this is where I switch, but the system that I should always use is just listen to the track. And, uh, you know, I, the internet and all the amount of research you can do is fantastic. And it's, you know, I can go into that, you can, you know, using it as a really good tool. I used to think stalking people on Instagram to try and get a feel of what they might like. Mm. The one thing I do, yeah, so first of all, I come up with the idea. Second, once I've come up with the idea, sort of exclusive to influences, although I will have watched their videos, so I've got an idea roughly of what they're kind of trying to say and who they are, then I go on a deep dive of their interviews. And I do that to, I don't know if I should be saying this out loud, um, but you, I'm trying, it, it's about winning the pitch and mm. you want to convey that you're understanding what they're trying to do. So I want to understand what they're trying to do by reading these articles and getting a feel of it. And then I'm going to go and cross-reference that with what I've done um, and double-checking that, you know, particularly it's helpful with when and then adding details in. So, you know, if someone says that they're a massive fan of Beyonce, do I add an element from a Beyonce video 
that whether that's, you know, a strong choreo dance sequence, but with only a couple of dancers. I mean, she does do big choreos, but she's often kind of famous for just doing smaller choreo pieces with maybe two backing dancers or a couple. So kind of thinking that way. And I know, you know, Rena was really keen, for example, on excess, which is, <laughs> people wouldn't think that. They was really watching the old Beyonce videos. And that was one of the reasons that I was like, okay, we're, when you're doing the telly prompting thing, we only had two telly sales people because of Beyonce's old videos where she only had two backing dancers. So it, that's, that's kind of how even, and I think that's the key, isn't it, to making anything is you want to steal from as many different sources that you can't, no one, I don't think anyone would have watched that and think, oh, they've copied Beyonce. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> it's so, you've got so many different bloody references in there mm. and so many aesthetic styles and you twist in that it, it's sort of, you can't trace it any longer. What's the stuff right now in your career that you wouldn't like pitch on and obviously uh, not to, um, not to turn away work, but in terms of where you're at artistically like now? I think, to stay interested and to stay wanting to do work, you have to keep pushing yourself and touching, uh, well, not touching the floor. You want to be kind of comfortable um, and confident because you've built 10 plus years of experience, which is what I have done, but you've got to keep pushing yourself. And I think that's it. I've, I've wanted to, I wouldn't just go for things that I'm going to put out publicly that maybe don't really kind of challenge me. So anyone that wanted to just do a performance video of someone looking hot in a nice location probably wouldn't be interested. Mm -hmm. But at the saying, no, no, probably wouldn't. Um, but, you know, it's not that I don't have any respect. I don't, not that I don't, like I loved, I thought the new Miley Cyrus Flowers video, which is that, was really, really well done. And I thought there were some choices in there that I was like, oh, interesting, you've kind of, yeah, I see, this is this is good, and it looked really good, and I I liked where they'd taken it, and it was cool and kind of felt fresh. So I think there's still obvious there's still ways to do it, but I think right now I'm interested in um, going beyond working with artists that want to go just beyond um, a performance video. And can we just jump into like the bonobo thing then, yeah. very briefly for something? So you can give you an idea of like what you kind of would like to mm, work on. Mm, mm. So yeah, just lay out like your <laughs> just lay out the idea. Um, the uh, I think it was the second one that you're kind of happy to kind of put out there because oh, I know yeah. with this sort of stuff you have to keep the secret yeah, yeah, or yeah. secret. I mean, I think let's go for the nothing but thieves one, which I think yeah. was kind of helped okay. was good. Um, so um, I remember when I it was real love song I pitched on, and I was really kind of wanting to. Um, think about it in relation to the context of when it was being put out, which was during COVID. Um, and so you're thinking, well, how are you going to shoot something in COVID? How are you going to... Um, and also, what does a love song mean in COVID? Um, and I think the thing was this sense of particularly people that were together and they wanted to shoot couples, I think. You're thinking about it's quite claustrophobic. You've not been out. You've seen each other a lot. And so I had the idea of filming it entirely in macro. Oh, interesting. Okay. And shooting it on iPhones with macro lenses that you were going to send couples and kind of have it as a documentary piece. And then you would tile it. So you had these I think it was a four by three grid, which made up a 16-9 YouTube video frame um, with them all moving and kind of changing as their own individual like love stories with the idea that you would kind of tile it out and it would be a sort of 3D thing that you could zoom in and out of and sort of track across. So there was multiple ways of of the video kind of playing out and multiple scenarios that could have happened. And I was in, I'm going to forget the director's name, but it's like Carl, he's like Carl times Johan, I think it's called Flames. Um, there was a music video done maybe seven years ago, which was shot entirely in close-ups. It's a, it's a dance e-track. And I've always, I come back to it again and again and again. And I think that kind of music, anything with like a strong beat and they've timed it so as a, a close-up of a zip or an eye moving and the eyelashes or a tear and it's just so satisfying when you see things perfectly in time with it and I, that was what we I really wanted to do 
Um, so that's kind of it. So I'm always looking at the track and then I'm thinking what's going on right now because someone once told me, I think it's, it was a, it was a good thing doing art history and then doing it this way because I had a really great professor, Wenny Tao, and she said that great creators, you shouldn't need to know their personal history, right? You, it's not about, you know, oh, they broke up with someone or they had a really bad, you know, like if you could, of course, and that, you know, that as people do write that in art history and I hope it's all because of this thing, but that doesn't, that's not the reason that the work becomes popular. That might've been the reason they did it, but the reason is because of often it's sort of, wider context at least the stuff that I'm interested in making I, I think I'm kind of thinking beyond that but there's lots of people that you know it's very personal it's great like Paul Arego's paintings are really damn personal and they're amazing you know so there's always um contradictions to that rule yeah um, um so I just want to jump into a little bit about the topic of money yeah so the um the days of the 90s and alties million plus pound budget for a music video mostly long gone so how do you balance the record label and the artist's creative ambitions versus the money that's on the table I mean I've been doing it long enough <laughs> producers I work with might say differently that I've got a rough idea of whether I'm pitching something's totally stupid for the budget mm -hmm. you know I'm not I, I'm you know, I know if the budget's 40K and you've got one day or 30, you know, I mean, you know the limitations of what you can do or you're going to go to Bulgaria and bu double your budget. You know, mm. there's there's those kind of options, I think, uh, to think creatively about what you can achieve. Um, I think the thing that that is tricky is when it's coming from the artist and those are the jobs that I try probably not to pitch on because you're going to, it's going to just be a messy process if you've got an artist that wants more than the label can achieve because, you know, that it's just all not properly being managed and you've got some, and I don't really see that, to be honest, anymore. I used to see it more when you were working on the three grand music videos and people wanted the world and to look like have a Beyonce video or a something and it was just like, well, this isn't going to work. From the music videos I've watched, you've not had many like beats or like beauty shots of like Adidas trainers and stuff. And is that something you particularly steer clear of? And is that something that I guess um, Rena steers clear of? 100%. I've done one video, which I, uh, which was the only one that I was like, oh God, this is, this isn't worked. And um, it was, it was an interesting one just because the pitch was fab and everyone loved it, which is why they went for it. The budget wasn't there, but everyone wanted to make that. That was one of the ones everyone wanted to make it. It had been COVID, not a lot had been made. But the, yeah, it was the idea was too ambitious for the budget. So then they got in three spawn, three things, like three products that made absolutely no fucking sense. And that's. And then you suddenly had to sandwich these three products oh, no. that were like beyond farcical mm. for a story that just, I can't tell you what it is without giving the whole thing away. What do you think about sort of film funding in general in, in the UK? Because I know that's something that you've encountered and maybe had issues with as well. I mean, I've only had one experience. I've not delved in too much because my route has been through music videos. So there's always a bit of money, even mm -hmm. if it's not a lot. Um, and content and advertising. I've not done that many short films, although I'm about to. So maybe we'll have this conversation again. <laughs> More to say on the funding thing, but yeah. with the porno, which I think you're referring to, I guess that was originally a short film. It wasn't meant to be in it kind of explicit, so to speak. Um, they call it hardcore, which just means that you see everything. It doesn't mean that it's chains and whips. And they have... Yeah. And I was looking at the funding stuff and it was, you know, 3,000 or 6,000 pounds. And then someone said, oh, Erica Lust is giving 20,000. And they mm. were, it wasn't, and it also wasn't a, you're going to jump through this hoop, then you're going to jump through this hoop. And it's six, you know, it's, mm. and then no, no, you're not going to get it. And actually we're only, said we'd give you six, but we're only going to give you three or something. I mean, I did another program a while ago, which I did make a short from and, uh, I think they said they were going to give us 25,000 and oh, in the wow. end they gave us, it might have been three. Gosh. So I've had it a couple of times where people promise things and then they, it might have, it might have been, I think we might have ended up with five, but it was like 25 or 30, I think. And then we ended up with five. 
and it they and we found out like a it was not long before we had to shoot oh no yeah so I would, but I mean, that's my, that's, there's lots of, I'm sure people have had, but as I said, the Erica Lust thing, that was incredible. I mean, they, they got, gave us the money. They were incredibly over the moon about the project. It was brilliant. The whole thing was. Yeah. And I should say the name of that project's Outer Course, mm. um, which I've, which I watched the, cause you have to pay to watch the whole thing. So yeah. I watched, I watched the trailer. So what was your journey to that? And how did you potentially overcome the fact of like, oh, I'm going to make a porn movie? I think it was that thing of making sure your feet are never quite on the floor. And uh, it got to a point where I thought, well, that sounds um, a bit weird and not what I was ever planning on doing. So why not give it a go? Mm. And I wonder whether that's one of the reasons, though, why it's not being made is because people are just watching porn. Mm. So... I don't know whether they're embarrassed to show what they find erotic because you are kind of putting yourself out there, aren't you? If you're making a film anyway, you're sort of putting a bit of a stamp on yourself and saying, this is what I stay and stand for. Um, so saying what you say and stand for in sex and then your mum and dad maybe watch it. That's not a lot for people. I mean, I have had to, I've, told my parents I remember telling my boyfriend's parents as well they were like yeah. but um on the whole I mean I think I I've not had many people that really care actually mm. I think that's the thing and I think I am god maybe in 30 years it will be considered awful and what I've done I mean things have changed I might get told off for it but yeah it's um I think the thing that's interesting about porn and it, I've been thinking about it a lot recently because I used to watch porn and I've just decided to stop. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing that Erica's doing, the other thing, other channels aren't doing, and I, I've had people watch it and they've been like, oh, it's a, it's a bit slow, it's a bit boring. <laughs> and other people say, and then had someone the other day email me saying, oh my God, it was amazing and that was the best thing ever. I think the thing about porn is it seduces you. And actually, I wonder whether we've become a bit passive. I mean, people are saying that the younger generation are having less sex than any generation, right? And I wonder whether it's because everyone's so used to a laptop doing these quite kind of like, yeah, this seduction technique of showing them whatever they want that a human is actually not going to do. And so they, do, you know, that like, but, and I know that's sort of obvious, but it, I think there's, that's something I've been thinking about is, if you're sort of so wrapped up in it, it's going to be difficult for you to kind of move beyond it. And I think what Erica's doing is showing something that doesn't quite hit that cortex as quickly mm. and as fast. And you've got to work for it a bit in the way that you've got to work for fine art a bit. You've got to sit there and go, hang on, what is this person trying to say? It's not, it's not an instant gratification. And I think that's what's kind of cool about it. It's it's holding you back. And that's the same with music, good music, you know, like a good kind of queen, Bohemian Rhapsody. I mean, it's, it's that's anthemic, but you know, they, they kind of, they're driving, they're driving, and then you're going. And I mm. think with porn, it's so. Yeah. The idea of tension and release, and especially with that music, it's all about tension and, yeah. and release and, and yeah. the film as well. So I just want to sort of jump into a little bit about working actually doing the, the job of being a director and being on set and being a communicator um and wrangling all the different like department heads and drawing back to actually referencing the uh arena sx uh, video i want to say that correctly um and all the different elements because i remember there's one particular element where she's a creature where she gets fully made oh, yeah. up and that sort of stuff and i was just thinking for you you're on set you've got two days you've got all these different like makeup people camera people like lighting people how do you as an individual wrangle all those sort of people and make sure that they deliver and execute on time i think the key is that i don't um i think once you're there you've mm. got to trust the people you're around yeah and trust formally your assistant director. Mm -hmm. um, I found some really great people that I like working with and they wrangle on the whole. Right. I think my job is really to check the monitor. <laughs> okay. okay. And check, yeah. that the, uh, check that the people are okay and occasionally meddle with the lighting. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and, um, and, but I, uh, my, style is very I'd say I'm quite like quite chill 
I think mm. it's kind of, you got to be chill because there's so many people and there's so many people behind a monitor and there's so many people with so many opinions. You kind of got to be in a, in a mental state where you're going to persuade and convince those other people that this is what we should all be doing. Mm. So you just want to give the best feeling of this right. is great, this is enjoyable, this is fun. Yeah. I think as soon as you start tensing up or getting panicked, it will just seep into everything. The more fun you can have with it, the end of the day, it's just a music video. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I just also wanted to just talk about like directing technique. So mm. something like Sparrow, that's a very intimate love yeah. story between um, the, the two girls in the Skegness versus you shouting at uh, Rena on, on that particular sort of like set. How do you manage those two different like personalities and how do you know when to sort of like push and pull? Yeah, I... I guess the key thing is music videos. If we're not recording sound, I'll say stuff. And if we are recording sound, then I don't. And I think the key thing is when the camera comes off is only give limited amount of direction. People go in sometimes. And I remember reading something about Rachel Weiss on The Favourite uh, and one of the directions that uh, Yorgos Thanamos gave was, I think it was that she was a little bit too like X-Men or right. like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and I've, yeah. you know, I've, I've been on set before and people give these grand long, oh, wow. you know what I mean? That they, they want to be the, you know, mm. that's kind of these long, and you just see people kind of like trying to stay with them, mm. but they're kind of getting lost in this obscene metaphor. Mm. I kind of think by the time you're on the set, you've hopefully done enough prep that you, and you don't want to make a performer feel, I don't want to make a performer feel uncomfortable at all. I want them to enjoy it so they feel confident enough to probably push themselves out of that comfort zone of maybe what we'd initially planned. So they were going to make, you know, put their feet aren't quite touching the ground. Mm. I think if you give someone too much critique, it, I mean, it doesn't really work. Mm. You're not going to get that out of them. I, fr I was with a friend yesterday and we were working together and she said you've got a really good way of never saying no <laughs> right yeah that, yeah that is good yes and nobody feels like yeah like you never want to yeah. you will never want to quite just say no to mm. someone and learning that communicate I mean it's I'm still learning but I've been learning and trying my best to learn how to yeah how do you say no and how do you convince people to do what you want um you know there's all sorts of things I read and books I do. I mean, I what was the thing I read the other day, which me and the editor, an editor I work with, we both read it. It was, um, oh God, it's Dale Carnegie's, I can't, it's like how to win friends and influence people from the oh, 30s. Right. Yeah, yeah. And we both kind of read it and then we both like thinking this is kind of embarrassing that we're reading this. Um, and actually I really recommend it just because of the style of writing. I like 30s literature, the way it's written, it really appeals to me, but there's some good, good old like old fashioned sales techniques that I think people mm. could do with being reminded of sometimes. I mean, just lastly on this topic, um, how creative fulfilling is directing a music video for you and what's the best and worst part of the job? Oh, I think the best part of the job is all of it. Mm. Um, there's not one bit once I've got the job that I don't like. Um, it's so fun doing the, I, I really, there's some things I need a lot more help with. Like I need a lot of, I, I actually really like support when it comes to casting. Yeah. Um, I kind of find sometimes I'm not quite sure what's the best option. Um, and then I also really love art direction. Obviously I kind of go in on that and getting in with, I think if I really gel with an art director, then the job's really joyful. And I love sitting in an edit suite, mm. but you know, it's just such a, it's, it's, and I think that's the thing I've got to get better at is the initial panic of st still now 10 years in, it's the first cut. I mean, I've got better. I remember like the first cut that didn't quite go to plan. I cried <laughs> <laughs> and I had to be taken out by my rep of the edit suite. I mean, I wasn't very old. I was probably 19 or something. And he had to take me out. I cried in through Final Cuts. I think I mentioned it on another podcast once. But yeah, I was, whereas now I can just about hold it. But I still, I still could be better. You know, if I don't love something, I, you know, that's probably the only time that I have to really learn to manage my emotions and manage my, mm. if I feel I've done a bad, because I, I feel like you you feel like you've left everyone down and you don't want to, you want every, you know, you, it's 
tricky. I am a bit of a peep, you know, I, I'm not a people. I just want people to, you know, they've paid for it and mm. it's a collaborative thing. Mm. And a lot of people have put their life and their time into it. And you want to make sure that everyone feels, you know, hopefully is like, yeah, I'm glad I did that. And I think that's, that's tricky when I see something now that I'm like, oh God, I don't like it. Um, and hope, yeah, that's the thing I've got to keep working on. So I just want to drop into, should say, jump into topic three, which is the life of a filmmaker. So I just want to ask you a very broad question here, which kind of relates to what we were talking about. What do you feel are the three most important traits a filmmaker needs to succeed in the industry? The three most important traits. You've got to really believe in yourself. Um, you've you've also got to be really you know, there's that thing of being like, people say thick skinned. I don't know whether that's the right thing. You've got to learn, meditate, <laughs> journal, learn to let things go. Because mm. that you will, and I think I've got much better at that now. Occasionally, I mean, I lost a job I really, really wanted like last August and I just cried for like two days. <laughs> mm. So it does happen, but also like cry, you know, let it like, I, I'm now I'm a bit more kind of like, I'm a bit of a crier. So and I also think there's something to be said if you are getting upset and emotional about something. So I lost a TV series and uh, it was a, something I really, really wanted. And it was also to, to be the showrunner to do all the episodes. And I just was kind of inconsolable. And um, I think it shows you in the same way that anger shows you what you care about. So you've also got to not only do that, but learn from it. If it really stings and hurts, work out what is it about that job that you wanted. And for me, it showed me that I really want to do narrative. I've done music videos. They're great. I'm sure if something came up, I would. But I was like, OK, so in the last couple of months I've been switching track. I've written... I'm writing, I'm currently writing my third short film. I've written, I've got two in the pipeline that I'm trying to get funded and produced. I've got a feature that I'm like plugging away at, you know. So I think that's, if you can do that, that's it. And then I haven't really listed this in like three things. Um, but then I think the other thing is you've just got to do, you know, some people, I guess you do our A-level or something or GCSE, they tell you to research and find out what you like. And I guess I you can't, I did that innately, you know, go to galleries, do things, you find stuff you like, but you only really know what you're capable of making once you start doing it. Mm. So you just have to, I think at the beginning, you just have to just keep going. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just turning up, isn't it? And just a sense of detachment, I guess, but it is hard when you're a creative individual and you're really going for something and you're really invested and you in your mind as a sort of filmmaker, a creative person, it all makes sense in your mind. You can visualize it. You can see how these sort of pieces sort of fit together and you're kind of waiting on these, um, like forces that are completely out of your control, but for whatever reason, it just might not, yeah, it might not happen. And I um, think that, yeah. that I agree with you. And I think mm. that's the key of the letting go thing. Mm. If you can't let, because I was, so I've been working on this new script as a period yeah. drama. Okay, so I've written two. I've got a feature. <laughs> yeah. That is the ones that I've got at the minute. I, d I opened the folder the other day mm. of all the scripts that I've written. I don't know how many is in there, um, but there's a, there's at least 10 ideas. Some of them really developed, mm. but I don't harbour any resentment that they didn't get made. Right. And I think that's it. That's how you have to keep going is you have to let go. And if you don't, you, you, you force yourself to stop. Mm. And that's when I get to the point where I, st and I do sometimes stop and I just give it a break and I'm like, right, fuck it. I'm going to do something. <laughs> like, I, yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm just not, this isn't, this is, I can't, I, and that's because I can't, you know what I mean? You can't let go of it. Yeah. And I think the other, th and I, but I, I, I hear you because I think the, so if I hit that fuck it moment where I go, I just can't do this anymore, then I it's I can't do this on my own. Yeah. So at the minute I've got a co-writing partner and that has helped rejig me. Because I think when you're in that state, you need someone else's energy. So you're going, okay, well, I'm, I've got to let go for me, but I'm, and also for them because we're, I'm using their time. So how do you keep up with the industry's latest trends and peer groups work? And I guess like... Yeah, how does that sort of stuff work and how do you ma maintain a, a creative relationship with um, with your sort of peer group? I keep up with a couple of friends' work, but on the whole, 
I try to stay off the internet. I would happily not have a phone. I don't have Instagram. I don't have Twitter. I don't watch as much. Like if if I have is with this with the, she's a writer and a actor and a friend of mine yesterday. And she was saying, oh, it's like this film or, or that film. And I, I hadn't seen any of them. You know, I actually don't, I don't watch as much as maybe I should. I don't know. But um, I think the thing that's been really amazing is the couple of directors that I do know, they're a support system. So they're a support system of when you want to give up. <laughs> how, it's just interesting. How many times have you really thought about giving up? lots yeah I can personally say I've wanted to give up lots of times myself mm. you know constantly like every week um, <laughs> but it, it does feel like that but I think that's a thing that there's a negativity around, around that but also I think there's a sense of like catharsis and there's also a sense of like um, so I think it's fine to to give up you know continually give up but as long as you're continually giving up you're not giving up if you see what I mean mm. I mean yeah exactly I guess I hit my brick wall when it stops being a a kind of a cathartic break. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm someone that can get quite flow state. So I can spend hours and hours can go by and I've not noticed the time and I've not got up to eat or pee mm. or you know what I mean? And then suddenly you're like, oh, and I think that's what I strive for is to be in those flow states. And I get frustrated when I can't get into that flow state. And then I'm like, if I can't, why can't? And that's what I used to have with playing the harp is I'd be in the flow states for hours and I'd practice for hours and hours a day. And um, it really, like it winds my boyfriend up a lot because I'll, he'll be like talking to me and he'll be sitting opposite me and I just will not listen. Mm. Like he just is like, doesn't know. And I'm, I just, everything out. I mean, yesterday I missed two tube stops, a journey that was meant to be 20 minutes, I think made, ended up being something like 45 because I just, I, and that was me just reading a book. Like I get really kind of intense focus, mm. um, which, and I really like that place. And I get really sad if I can't get there. As a director and filmmaker, it's a high stress, unsociable and time consuming job. So how do you mm. stay healthy, relaxed and keep a sense of perspective? <laughs> oh God, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> mm. It's taken a while and it's taken a lot of time for people around me to say you're spinning out. I think the worst I had was after COVID being on set. It was the biggest advert I'd ever done. And I'm telling this story to other people don't, you know, we all panic and freak out. And I just like got true insomnia, which I've never had and didn't sleep for three days. Um, and you, And I remember someone saying to me, you can't, keep doing this to yourself because I'd really and I didn't realize I was spinning out because I thought oh I'm in this flow state I'm you know and I was a bit selfish about it being like oh well I've got you know like let me have it or something mm. or and then realizing that it's not you you just can't be that productive actually and there's that kind of illogical thing of the sort of strained artist or whatever but I just don't think it's just not really true. You've got to work out how to balance, meditate, journal, do a bit of exercise, go on a walk and have some fun and have some other hobbies. Also, you run out of things to say if you're just sitting at a desk. And is there a thing of um, being a director, the mythos, or however you pronounce it, the auteur, you know, the, this larger in life character of being an artist, being a creative, of being able to produce these really wonderful um, pieces of work because you've created something, perhaps you expect the world after that to treat you in a, mm. in, in a certain way. Mm, mm. Whereas, um, you know, where you can kind of get lost a little bit in that mm, a, a mm. sense, if I that makes sense. It makes total sense. I think I thought that... Uh, I was justified in like putting my work always first. And mm -hmm. I think that's the thing that I've had to learn that if you want to uphold relationships, which are fundamentally the most important thing in anyone's life, mm. you can't put it first. And it's a gutter, but you know, I've turned, I now turn down work, even if it's a money job, even if it's a thing, which is the freelance anxiety, because it's, at the end of the day, I don't know what 
if it's worth it. Um, so I'd just like to move on to uh, topic four, which is industry thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned you recently you gave a talk at a school about directing and filmmaking to a group of students who are a bit nonplussed about the job. So what do you think is the biggest obstacle to getting the next generation, Gen Alpha, interested in filmmaking? I think filmmaking is a great... The reason people love it is because it's such a people community-based job, actually. And particularly short form, so commercials and advertising and music videos and content and docs and stuff. You know, you're with people a lot. You're not sitting at a desk too much just doing your own thing. So I I guess that's it. It's I don't know many people in that generation, but just making sure that they're they're out there together but I think they'll be all right because they're all doing TikTok yeah they're all content creators now anyway so I'm, I'm kind of think it will be they'll just be much better than we ever were <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I think when people decry and say oh culture's ending and these young people don't know you know young people do eventually become older and their tastes do develop and things do shifts but there's a reason why we still have theatre we have opera we have um, film but and I guess the balance of those things will sort of change whether that video games suddenly becomes the the thing or the interactive world of web point three becomes the thing that we're all engaged with yeah um, I think they'll be good I think it's just the it's the classic reaction of high versus low isn't mm. it you know oh well when people would have said oh photography doesn't and it's kind of interesting you know you've got the kind of Christie's or Sotheby's kind of you know the paintings are the things that still command the biggest prices mm, yeah 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 opposed to say photography although very popular because it's it's multi being you can multiply it but then you've got these huge nfts going on mm. and i just yeah you can imagine people nfting tiktok videos i'm sure someone has it's yeah it's going to be it's people kind of like things to be rare but then there's this a big ability but i think they'll Exactly, it'll have to change. I mean, I, I like video gaming. I'm unapologetic about... That's one of the things I like to lose myself in. And um, I just got through all of Pokemon Violet. Oh, nice. <laughs> the, okay. Last, okay. the last four weeks, which again is a kind of nostalgia thing. But I can't wait for, again, Harry Potter Legacy nostalgia. But, um, to horizon zero dawn Mm. i think it's amazing i think the video game industry is something i'd be really interested in looking at directing directing that because there's also the segments in between pokemon it really they really like they're so janky still and these bizarre dialogue sequences that are just weird yeah and i just don't understand (laughs) it and like even in horizon zero dawn there's it's so like the technology's there and they've got these like bonkersly these bonkers scripts and like no one I don't know anyone that like enjoys watching those bits everyone's yeah. like oh just fuck just get to the game I was like maybe there could be um, an interesting thing that could be done there that could be kind of cool yeah I think there's a lot to be said with with that as an art form and I think in terms of technology wise there's streaks ahead in terms of money but as you say in terms of directing and the mm. human element that is missing it is missing that I'd say um, I it guess, can be. Yeah, I guess that's why me, it's just new mediums that are being approached and so they've not reached the canon of, of what's considered culture yet. Mm, yeah. You know, before there'd have been a period where obviously everyone thought that the Impressionists were ugly and mm. the period before that when you just had royal paintings and before that you just had ecclesiastical paintings and ecclesiastical objects and... Now you've got Louise Bourgeois spiders, you know, where we've come to. And there'd have been a point when that would have been thinking of, oh God, how, you know, so it's kind of great that it's being disrupted. If it was the same, then I'd be worried. So I just want to touch on something briefly. Um, Mm. It's a little controversial, but uh, um, let's see. Um, So it's award season right now with the Oscars just a few months away. So overall, what do you feel about award shows and do you feel they're still relevant? Oh, interesting. Um, I never watched them. Um, I wouldn't say I personally, uh, have much of an attachment to them. Um, I mean, I occasionally use them as like a refined Google search, you know, yeah. if you're like Sundance documentary, what to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably my biggest connection to them is using them as like a well-created curated yeah. Buzzfeed article Okay, interesting. <laughs> that a lot of people have thought about and gone, I mean, that's what they are, aren't they? But that's, that's, 
the the award show itself, I don't have any kind of real connection to it with the kind of razzle dazzle. Although, wouldn't it be kind of pinch worthy to go to one one day? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was thinking about it because I'm very conflicted because I think like, yes, yeah, celebrate someone in their industry that, um, and put them up there so all their peers can sort of celebrate. That gets your name out there, it gets you more work. Um, I have a very hard time and nothing against Brendan Fraser and the guy that just won for everything all at once when they, when essentially they win their award and it just becomes like a mass like therapy session in a way, <laughs> you know, and, and I guess are we supposed to glean something from their, uh, from their sort of like triumph of, over the odds of, I guess in Brendan Fraser's case, you know, not working for like a decade after the mummy and then coming back and being in a, in, in a Darren Aronofsky um, movie, you know, not working for a decade and then going to one of the most, you know, high level working filmmakers today. So I guess like my sympathy is not, should we say like, I don't want to be unsympathetic, but I do find that hot. I do find it strange when the, I think the people who least need that amount of exposure are getting it versus people that are like below line, like crafts people, like editors, sound designers, costume people that, in terms of the general public's awareness, you know, don't get the light shine on them like enough because they're a very key part of, of why people enjoy things. I mean, I guess the reason that most people will watch a film is because they like the actor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Precisely. Yeah, yeah. Because they're the thing they get, they're the people that get them through the door. Most people, I think on the whole, some will be because of the director, but it's not often mm. is it that you see the director's name largely or sometimes it's the producers actually yeah from the producers of Paddington and something. yeah 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 um but I don't know I guess um maybe it's a sense of to to shine a light and I, d I don't know either of these people but maybe they feel they're doing what I'm doing which is saying don't give up yeah yeah and saying it's you're going to have setbacks but you just got to keep going mm. and then you'll get here but it's it's I think the thing that I would you shouldn't really care too much about them mm -hmm. because you shouldn't you sh you're you know what I mean I think you, people are understanding they'd be like and now I've done it and then I feel yeah. like you'd end up having a crisis because you'd be like what do I do now <laughs> yeah yeah precisely in the same way that you've got to let go of the bad I think you've got to let go of the good mm -hmm. yeah so you can keep going because you're not going to keep you know there's that sort of postmodern thought and post postmodern of we're still sort of in a way stuck in modernism in our brains I think that's just human nature you want to do better you want to excel you're like oh god it's not as good as the last thing and it, I think it's that thing of just letting it be that mm. you're I sound like a broken record this is let it be you sing it but um yeah that that's it yeah, I do agree. Again, yeah, I think celebrating people is important. Um, <laughs> you know, or like there's people you think you've won, you, like what's more, more award, you know, mm. whereas some people are unsung heroes that don't win any and, you know, are fantastic and you know, that kind of thing. The award thing to me is almost a little bit, I mean, I might change my mind a bit, like getting married, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like an hour ceremony. Yeah. And then you've got some sort of gold yeah. emblem but really, it doesn't really mean anything. No, it doesn't change your life. It really doesn't change your life. It doesn't give you, it's a little, maybe a little experience, but mm. you're having an, ex you know, if, if the, the sum of a human life is the connections we have, I can't imagine standing on a stage naked, almost in front of all these people you don't know that are judged. Like, I just think it would be awful. Yeah. I, I think it you, is awful. And it's a sort of pantomime as well, because even I think some people are there yeah. thinking like, this is kind of very weird, but I have to, you have to buy into it in a way. You have to give yourself over to the... I mean, of course I've, I've occasionally, you know, fantasized on a little walk of thinking about it. I think I'd just, I, I'd probably be like, thanks, <laughs> and I'd go yeah. off. I don't think I'd even thank anyone else, all the many people you should you should thank. I'd just be want to get on and out as quickly as possible. So just finally, I want to talk about your dream project if money and time uh, mm. wasn't an issue. Yeah, the dream project at the minute would be to make a film or a TV series and do yeah. some drama. I think it. I've worked on a lot of short form. Normally they're maximum two months occasionally a little longer if the shoot dates are sort of spread out due to people's availability so it would be really nice to work on something a bit longer see what that's like mm -hmm. and just work on something that's a bit longer minutes it's a more of a challenge you know my longest has probably been it's funny you know i don't know probably no more than like 10 minutes i can't interesting okay 10 or 12 probably for some of the short films 
Um, and that's that's a and a puzzle to get it there. Mm. It took a long time to do some of those edits, and I really enjoy it. It's I find it difficult, but it's so much fun when you crack it and you've worked hard at it. So the dream project would be for them to green light my feature, have an amazing DP yeah. that can help me and support me and show me what to do and yeah, do that. And then I did read actually an interview actually last night, um, which was funny because it brought up all sorts of images because I think I was at acting school at the time when it came out was the novel Wetlands. Oh yeah. That you they said that you'd optioned that and then I looked it up and I thought, oh they actually made they made a German language um they did. version of it in 2013. Yeah. And I thought how interesting that you that you Oh that was ages ago. Yeah. I think it was like I think the interview I read was in twenty twenty, so it was a few years ago. Yeah, I'm trying to think who I can't even remember. Oh I remember who it was. Yeah it was an actor and we read it I gave it to an actor as a kind of um inspo for their character for a film and then we've got we managed I think we managed to email them and then we I think she said yes basically oh and wow yeah I think that's what happened the agent said yes but then we never did anything with it see that's the thing that's it that's this problem of letting go is you let go and you don't you be that's it I think like, I honestly could that I thought that was maybe seven years ago oh, so wow, many okay, things yeah. have I've like gone and up interesting because you're just trying to I mean like, the advice I was given by the uh, Jenny Beckett, who runs Partizan, was, you know, with long form, you just kind of have to keep pushing the ideas mm. out. Mm. And then eventually there's someone will go, yes, mm. but don't just keep, if you keep with the same thing, it, 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 and then you're not getting much of a response, probably time to move on. Um, and I just wanted to sort of touch on the fact that you're a fan of action movies. And yeah. you mentioned in the last podcast I actually listened to last night, which is the promo one about wanting to direct a James Bond movie. I just wonder if you could sort of like throw out some ideas of reinventing James Bond since he, spoiler alert, died, in the, <laughs> died at the end of the last movie. So it's now like a, a clean slate. Yeah. I mean, I think the James Bond thing, what would I say? I probably wouldn't, I'd, I'd totally change him if it was me. I think it's my, that its aesthetic is too expensive and premium, the world he lives in. It's like kind of uber luxury. Mm that I've never really been that interested in shooting those kind of spaces or uh, living those in those that that's just I've I've grown up and had been privileged to experience some of those things and have also kind of found it all a bit weird not really like my thing I've kind of got I've got to sort of side straddle multiple different worlds um from like the extreme from yeah getting to the kind of like uh some areas of sort of like extreme wealth which has been quite an interesting insight but so I think I'd kind of make him a bit more average um and probably on a much more um yeah, you know, starting salary or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because we are going to approach a time of, well, well, right now in a time of real economic uncertainty mm. and art and should reflect that. Mm -hmm. So it would be interesting if you strip away all, all mm. the, like all that, all that from like James Bond. Um, yeah, and make him a little bit more like think about, so I've been thinking about starting to learn karate or judo because oh. I'm really interested in stunts and coordination just because whenever I watch something I'm always analyzing oh how do they do that or oh, they've done it that way that I can't watch it that's also why I don't watch films anymore because it doesn't really relax me I just find it like work I just yeah. I'm like oh they've used that camera there's light there it's just you know you can't and action films I'm just like how did you do that like this must have been so much planning and time that I kind of stopped bothering trying to analyze each shot and each se sequence because you're like it's just not worth it yeah. right now um because we're already on to the next thing and in a new country. But yeah, so I think I'd make him on a starting salary. And, and you know, maybe he's learning, you know, he's he's not going to know many, he's, he's got to not know anyone, but maybe he's got a kind of a small kind of community of people that he goes to like the local kind of judo club or something <laughs> in yeah, Hammersmith. Yeah. Yeah. And um, he's got like an annoying flatmate. You know, I think that would be kind of funny. And maybe he's kind of tried to have a relationship but it's ended up breaking up because of that reason of, of her being like we're well, just too dedicated to your job mm. and she's you know living on her own and got remarried and he's kind of gutted and and they're sorting out the divorce so he's had to move in with a you know I mean yeah, I, yeah, I kind yeah. of I think that would be in but th but then it's just something totally different people would be so upset okay so lastly where can people um, check out your film music video and commercial work and follow you on social media 
Um, I'm Ali Kerr on Instagram. Uh, AliKerr.co.uk is my website. Um, and my work is predominantly on my website and on Vimeo. Perfect. So I'll put a link to all that stuff below so people can check that out. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed our chat today. Thank you.